Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 144 of the Sports Podcast. Anthony will not be joining us here today, but we have a special guest in Brian Barish from Philadelphia. He is the media coordinator of the USAFL. We had Brian on earlier this year at the beginning of the footy season, and we are going to get an update on the USAFL as they're in the midst of having their season and some sub-regionals and their tournaments coming up and get more information on that. Plus, we just talk uh, footy with Brian, as we love to do. Uh, you can follow Brian on Twitter at BarishUSAFL1997, and you get all the information on the USAFL on the internet at USAFL.com. And with that in mind, I'll remind you that you can get this podcast and all our previous podcasts on our own website, RadioMVP.com. And also, please, if you get this, give us a rating and review wherever you download this podcast. So with that in mind, let's uh, join Brian and have our conversation, or I should say, this is my conversation I had earlier today with the media coordinator from the USAFL, Brian Barish. It's now time to bring in Brian Barish from the USAFL. He's the media coordinator, and uh, we got to talk to him earlier this year at the beginning of the footy season, and now here we are week 19, or round 19, I should say, officially in uh, the AFL season, and the USAFL season has uh, begun the summer and off to a good start. I read earlier you had 25 matches already completed. Yeah, Tim, thanks for having me again. Yeah, we're, we're at 25 matches so far, uh, 26 if you count the, uh, the uh, women's match as well uh, uh, between Philadelphia and D.C. It was the first women's game, and we've got a number of other ones. But, uh, yeah, uh, first uh, game back uh, was May 1st down in uh, Tampa between the uh, hometown Tampa Bay Tiger Sharks and the Fort Lauderdale Fighting Squids. Uh, uh, probably one of the best matchups in, in, in uh, name matchups in all of sport. Um, but yeah, we've had uh, this past weekend, we actually had um, five events, a total of, let me think here, I think it was uh, 11 games ended up going off uh, across the country. And uh, we've got a couple more uh, to finish out July before heading into the uh, USAFL sub-regional summer series, which is happening throughout August. Yeah, let's uh, let's get into that real quickly. Talk about what is the sub-regionals and uh, uh, where are they being held at? Well, norm, under normal circumstances, we have three regional tournaments throughout the summer. We have uh, one in the eastern region, one of the central region, and one in the western region. Um, and I know, I think you and I, when we talked at the beginning of the year, we were trying to figure out what exactly we were going to be doing with the regionals, mm-hmm. uh, just simply because um, of, of we didn't know how travel the travel situation was going to be with uh, you know with COVID uh, and with you know vaccinations and whatnot. And uh, the decision was made to go ahead, but have it structured a little bit differently instead of having three regionals we're going to have uh, six sub regionals so much smaller tournaments and much more spread out across the country um so instead of having maybe 11 you know 11 or 15 teams in one site we're looking anywhere from uh, uh four to ten teams gathering um and and most of these teams are, are it's in driving range so there's no no need to uh, if folks don't feel comfortable staying uh, overnight they can just drive for the day and then come back uh, to where they are. But uh, we have uh, six uh, tournaments going off over the course of three weekends, August 7th uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, Sacramento, California. 
And uh, the uh, August 14th will be in uh, Philadelphia, my hometown right here, and uh, as well as Madison, Wisconsin. And on August 21st, will be in Savannah, Georgia, and Arlington, Texas. Uh, overall, uh, three dozen teams, uh, three dozen of our uh, 50 clubs have signed up for, for these and uh, should be uh, three great weekends of, of action. Uh, and of course, that leads up to the National Championship Carnival, which is happening October uh, 16th and 17th in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and uh what do you say? You got 50 uh, teams that are part of the, the USFAL and you got 36 teams being, that's almost perfect symmetry to have 36 team tournament. I mean, it's, and with the sub regionals, uh, what's your thoughts possibly of staying with the sub regionals going in the future, just to make it maybe a little bit more regional and uh, maybe growth uh, on that level. We've, we've talked, about um you know just augmenting the the regional championship uh series uh you know prior to COVID, i think we'll we'll take some feedback from the clubs and what they think about the smaller tournaments but but i think part of it as well um the central region is our biggest region it extends from uh from cincinnati to denver and then from minnesota down to texas uh just to give an example um you know the texas the texas sides that 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 tournament's going to be held in arlington and there are going to be some clubs from nearby in addition to the to the four uh texas teams uh north texas dallas austin and houston and you'll have uh the oklahoma side we've got uh uh you know um uh, baton rouge has come in as well um it's good to come and and travel and play some of the other clubs in that large region uh st louis and kansas city clubs that had been long dormant for five ten years have come back with a vengeance they they may both bring full sides to nationals which is great to see uh, some of the clubs across the north and minnesota and chicago as well so um it's i think it's good especially in a large region like that they they would like to branch out and play more teams from outside where they are um the same thing with uh denver it's hard to get uh, because by and large and there's a team in salt uh, in the salt lake city area the wasatch wargles another name i truly love um that uh uh you know they you have the denver bulldogs and the centennial tigers who are just women at the moment um it's very difficult for them to to get to get matches so i think um, the, the more wider regional series, I, I kind of like, um, but we'll definitely take some feedback. We'll see how the teams and then the players feel after we've gone through this, this run with the more smaller region. Yeah. I got on the website, uh, today when I had an opportunity and I, oh, I got, a, I got a little excited. And then I realized the, uh, the matchup for the Columbus cats is in Missouri this weekend. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, Oh, Ooh, I'm off this weekend. Maybe I can go to Columbus. And then I clipped on the thing and it was Missouri. I was like, not this weekend. <laughs> no, they, they have played one home game. They actually hosted, hosted Cincinnati uh, right. a couple of weeks ago. And the Dockers nipped them by two points uh, the, over the Cats, which is a pretty big win for, the, for a Docker side that, uh, you know, I, they, they mostly, it, it's, you know, you talk about, turnover with a lot of our clubs because you know you get to a certain mm-hmm. age and you stop um they've got guys who have been playing since the formation of the team which is around 96 97 98 wow. and and a lot of these you know these these aussies who are in their 40s and their 50s and they stick with it and by god they're they're still pretty damn good so um <laughs> so um but but yeah i i think they're planning on having at least one more home home day as well 
And I know uh, the Dockers are hosting, going to be hosting as well at some point between now and the end of the season. So um, I guess I'll tell you and I'll tell everybody else, USAFL.com. Uh, we have a listing of all of the matches uh, as they are coming up. And um, worth mentioning, by the way, that we generally fill uh, we don't put a game in the system until it is signed off on uh, by our by our board against the COVID protocols. We have a lot of COVID protocols that need to be checked off in terms of you know the participants and make sure that uh, you know uh, everything is being met in that respect. So um, the other thing I would tell you is you know there in Ohio or anywhere else across the country that you're listening to us, um, just um, follow your local team and uh, you'll you'll generally get more. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll get more direct information in terms of what's happening in your city from them. Uh, many of them have newsletters. Many of them, you know, they, they keep up pretty well on social media. Um, so um, that's the best thing to do. But USAFL.com, if you want to see what's going on, not just in your area, but across the country. Yeah, and I may suggest uh, also, uh, if you are a person who likes Twitter like myself, uh, a lot of those, uh, these sides and teams are on Twitter, and you can follow them. And you just have to uh, do a little search. I uh, found the uh, the North Texas Devils uh, when they formed, and and every, how excited that that uh, side is to be uh, playing. And uh, they they've actually had a, a really fun start to their to their creation. And I think they won just not too long ago. Yeah, they got their first two wins this past weekend uh, at home. Uh, in Plano, Texas, they defeated the Oklahoma Okies, and they also defeated the Austin Crows Reserves. Um, and that's, you know, Austin, the, the reserve side is not as strong as their, um, as their senior side. Of course, the senior side, and I have to double check this, I don't think they've lost a game since 2017. Wow. I think they may have lost one match in 2018 en route to the national championship, but I, I know that they lost in the... Uh, they lost in, in, in at nationals because they ended up uh, not making it to the grand final that year. But, uh, but yeah, but North Texas, they did, they did really well uh, to get two wins. They're a very enthusiastic side um, led by uh, James Henderson, uh, who is, who really has brought a lot of energy to that part of the country and uh, in terms of the competition. So um, yeah, they're, they're really good. And, and, and um, it, just going back to the website, if you do, because you mentioned about uh, where to find everybody, uh, if you go on usafl.com slash club list, uh, you'll get to see where all the club, you know, where we have clubs, but you also get a chance to see uh, where they are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. I know we have at least one club with a YouTube channel. Uh, so besides us, and uh, yeah, so that's where you can find the information as far as where to follow them and to keep up with, uh, with what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, a shout out to uh, a Coach Huss, who I met through you guys uh, for the Des Moines uh, Roosters. They're two and zero in a season, so they're off to a good start. Yeah, they um, and you know what? It's great to see them come down because um, you know, they were founded in '09, and Kansas City uh, and St. Louis. I don't know if uh, I think St. Louis was still. It was kind of merging into that Ohio Valley mm-hmm. uh, conglomerate with Cincinnati and with uh, Louisville and Indianapolis at the time. So it's great to see them come back and, uh, you know, great to see Kansas City come along. But yeah, um, two, I think, uh, pretty solid victories from them over the weekend. They are um, a almost completely, I, I know they have at least one Australian who's now living there, and I, I don't know if he's joined the team yet, but uh, one of only, uh, I think, two clubs in the entire country that's all American. 
Um, I don't, I think they may have only had a handful, uh, if at that, I could probably count the number of Aussies they've had on, on maybe two or three fingers, uh, in their 11, 12 year history. But, um, yeah, um, good side, you know, uh, Donnie has probably one of the most enthusiastic and, and very knowledgeable guy, uh, in, in terms of that. And, uh, you'll probably hear him, uh, doing some commentary with me at nationals again this year, which is, uh, which will be great. It will be, uh, he's yeah, had him on the podcast. Look forward to, I told him I, I have to get an update from him during the season and he'll be one of the, uh, the people we will be talking to next about the uh, the roosters and, and what's going on uh on that part of the uh, country over in iowa and everything yep. going on so today i was on twitter as i was talking about earlier and i found a post from you talking about a power ranking of the U- usa afl take a moment and talk about how you developed it and uh, what what was released today so, um, so here's the thing with the USAFL. Um, if you're everybody in the entire universe follows sports and knows that uh, if you want to see how your team is doing, all you got to do is look at the standings. The problem with us is that because everybody sets their own schedule, it's not like it is in Australia and their regional leagues where everybody plays the same amount of games. You can look at the ladder, um, you know, because we're a national league, because we're only playing, you know, some teams play as little as five games a season. Some play as many as 16 or 17 games a season. So the idea was um, to come up with some sort of objective way to rank all the teams. And it's something that I've been kind of, rolling around in my head probably for the last I want to say like six seven years and I've tried different things and whatnot we did have a subjective um solution for a time that was called the USAFL top 20 poll and what would happen is is we would have nine uh experts so to speak and uh send out an email to them and just say hey pick your top 20 and so you're you're a fan of college sports it's like it's like the, the the polls in college football and college basketball um it is i would say in terms of the scheduling uh you know and and how we schedule it is very much like college football um you know for many years there were conferences uh you know we had an eastern league we had a mid-american league we had uh we had uh, i would say more of a loose southwest california southwestern california arizona uh, uh setup as well and um you know but uh the other side of all of this is i think there's this there's this misconception uh, you know, we have a uh, four nationals. We have a, a tournament seating committee. Uh, there's a group of people. I am I've, I'm basically uh, a consultant in that um, who basically, you know, we we look at the at the teams, we rank them and then we set them in the different seeds and the pools and everything. But the, the problem is, is that, you know, it's hard to kind of get an idea as to uh, what uh, what, you know, how each team is doing. So um I set out to develop uh, a system that had kind of similar qualities to ELO, which is used in chess and in backgammon and other things as well. There's a ranking system uh, that that uh, uh, World Footy News uses to rank the national teams uh, like the U.S. and Canada, et cetera. Um, which they uh, uh, got inspired by world rugby. So I looked at that and I said, you know, something like this I think would work. And the idea is, is to weigh in obviously how teams are doing, not just this season, but they're, you know, 
just in, in terms of historically, because when we do look at nationals rankings, we look at how they've done in, at past nationals going back, you know, mm-hmm. two, three years at, in some cases. Um, and we also wanted to factor, I also wanted to factor in travel because that's a big factor in the USAFL when you have teams that, um, you know, who, who do, you know, some matches, they travel, you know, 60, 60 miles, 70 miles, like, like Philadelphia heading down to Baltimore. And in some cases you have uh, teams getting on planes to play match. Um, so the idea was to be, to come up with a, with a system with that. And I meant to, the plan initially was to trial it last year. Um, and, and so we are trialing it this year. I gave it the working title, the bearish ratings index, because it's BRI, you know, so I thought that was, that was fantastic, but I'm sure that's a working title. I'm sure it'll be the USAFL, uh, rankings, but but essentially what it is is um, uh, each of the teams starts with a base ranking of ten, and then based on how they did it at nationals the previous year, in which case I'm using a nineteen model, um, uh, you get a certain amount of points depending on what division you played in, and then you get bonus points depending on whether or not you won, whether or not you finished uh, made it to the grand final and finished runner up, and if you didn't do either of those things, you get points based on how many games you've won. You get a point for every it, it's it's a uh, uh, four points for every division you you were in above division four. Uh, then you get a point for uh, you have four points if you won the division three if you were the runner up, and then one point for every win, half point for it. It's a lot of numbers. I explained yeah. it a lot better on my Twitter account. And then <laughs> and then what happens is is that when two teams play. Um, uh, you take whatever their number is, their numbers are. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, um, Austin, uh, the, they have the, the highest ranking at 26 points. Uh, and then a team like, uh, I will say, Denver had 25 points because they were the runners up. And then what you do is you give whatever the home team is, that home team advantage of adding in points up to three additional points for that particular game, depend, you know, if they travel. Now, let's say if Austin was playing Denver, that's more than 300 miles apart. Um, you, you cap it up, up to three. So you add three points to Austin. And then you run those two, uh, num- the difference through a formula, um, and you adjust whether or not that's, uh, you adjust it as to whether or not it's a full 80-minute uh, game or, or a 40-minute game. And uh, you adjust based on who wins. Um, just like in the LO system, if uh, two teams are uh, close to each other, then uh, the the reward and penalty for winning and losing is roughly the same. Uh, so, for example, if two teams have the same exact ranking, uh, the winner would win uh, one a point and a half, and the loser would lose a point and a half. Uh, however, let's say Austin was playing Kansas City, where there is more than a 10-point deficit, which is the limit, and let's say Kansas City pulls the shock of the century and defeats Austin, then they would pick up three points and Austin would lose three points. If the same situation was reversed and Austin, which is a much more powerful team, wins, mm-hmm. they wouldn't gain any points and Kansas City wouldn't lose any points because there's an expectation that Austin would win anyway. So it does reward teams, uh, you know, and I, and, and I think it encourages teams to bring full uh, squads. Um, and because the results from the previous nationals are carried over, it, it, it requires teams to pull over to, to bring in as, you know, their best sides to nationals and get people to come out to nationals. Now, this isn't going to be a hard and fast with respect to, 
you know, we're not just going to say, well, the top eight teams are going to advance to division one, right. um, because some clubs might, if they're not able to bring a full side, then, then we don't want them playing in division. Uh, we want them playing where they're more competitive. Um, you know, if a team says we're only going to bring 17 people, they shouldn't be playing in division one. Uh, they should be playing down in division three or possibly division four, where they'll have subs or possibly combined with others. But if we have a situation where we have, let's say, 11 teams that are uh, requesting to be in Division Two, then we look at, then we can look at them and say, okay, here are the eight best teams. You know, they're going to play in Division Two, where the other teams play in Division Three. I think this year will be a little bit. I, I'm hoping that this will be a, a somewhat accurate reflection, just simply because teams are only going to be playing. A, handful of matches and probably half the matches if if that than what the, they would have been playing on a normal year but the hope is is that by 22 or uh, 2022 or 2023 that uh, this will be uh, more of an official tool and it's something that that we can look at but if nothing else it's it's a good um, you know it's good for for some debate and uh, you know good for um, you know we're working towards having something instead of us being because I know a lot of people just kind of see us as a collection of games and then we get together for just one indiscriminate big tournament at the end um, you know we want to have um, uh the, we want to have the matches have some actual tangible weight on where you get uh, uh, placed at the end of the season and, and, and not just a bunch of people on a Zoom call saying, okay, these guys are here, here. Right. So hopefully it grants some traction. Hopefully we get you know a lot of people behind it and we'll go from there. Obviously we have a fan in you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I like the idea behind it on this level. It's not the same system, but it's, it's – uh, it's a math-based system that's similar to what is used here in the state of Ohio for high school football. Now, high school football, they, like most states, they divide it by the, the amount of boys in the, in the school from 10th grade to 12th grade type, type of thing. And then they, they slot you into a different division. In Ohio, we have seven divisions, and they, they do it that way. Now, what we do during the season which is really unique. And I don't know if any other states do it this way mm -hmm. is that you earn points for victories. Mm -hmm. You do not lose any points for defeats. Mm -hmm. So you're counting wins. And mm -hmm. the way they do it is, is basically who you played. For example, if you're a division two school mm -hmm. and you're playing a division one school, mm -hmm. you defeat that division one school, you get division one points. Right. And the division one school does not get penalized. They just don't earn any points. Right. It's very and, similar in right. that respect. Yeah. Right. And, and that's how they just, they basically for each region decide who makes the playoffs and the top mm -hmm. eight teams and how they expanded it this year, but uh, that's the way they do it. And that's how they would seed it. The number one team in that region versus the number eight team. And, and they would go on from there for the playoffs. And it reminds me of that system because that's what you're doing is what you're looking at as like a three-year, you know, look, cause you got to go back a couple of years to, you know, to get a, a ground of, of a base for these, for these teams. And then you just add the points, as you said, to the teams that win and, and obviously give them uh, bonuses. If they, like you said, travel over 300 miles and stuff like that. I, I think it's, it's, it's a very uh, fair and equitable way to at least see teams. And like you said, possibly find out, you know, who's the a full squad versus a, you know, a three quarter squad versus, you know, someone who has 12 or 14 uh, players 
and mm-hmm. then go from there and then put them in the divisions that they, that they represent best. I, I think that's a, uh, I think it's wonderful. I think it's, it's, it's exactly the way sports should be done. <laughs> and, and, and right now, I mean, the idea is eventually we want to develop a very, I want to develop a very similar thing for the women's size. I mean, unfortunately there's only a handful of, of women's teams that, that right. You know, right now the, the, the men's division, because there's so many teams, it is, it, it's, you have to do it by merit. Whereas where with the women's, Division one is full size and division two is basically all combined. Basically, we call it the Frankenstein division because they're just teams that are just kind of mushed together right. and they form new ones. And and with that, it's a combination of making sure that the teams are even not only skill wise, but also number wise as well, um, which is a difficult task in and of itself. Um, but, um, you know, I, I the, the 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 big thing here, though, is that we don't want to replace the human factor um, because, you know, if a team does have a really, really good season and, and, you know, I one of the systems that I had developed earlier, actually for a couple of years ago, um, I had, for example, the Portland Steelheads uh, in the top eight, which would have made them a division one team. And when I told Martin Coventry, who was the captain, he just he, he went white as a ghost. I mean, he just was he was like, I don't want to play a division one. Yeah, <laughs> because and, and mind you, Portland was a really good side. They were undefeated, but uh, most of the teams that they were playing that year were more division two, II, division three caliber. I don't know how they would have done, you know, against a team mm-hmm. like Austin, which was, you know, beating teams left, right and center or Golden Gate. Um, but, um, you know, uh, I, I do think I mean, the thing is, is that uh, if we want to be considered a serious competition and, and, and you know, there's people that that spend all this money to go to games and to travel around the country and to, and to play and play at regionals. The other thing as well is that I had unveiled uh, or I developed a, a system for, for determining which teams play in division one. Um, and, you know, cause the idea is, is that we want to keep all the divisions eight teams. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a situation where literally only six teams would play in division and we could not get two teams. So we had to play, and then we looked at division two and we ended up with nine teams in division two teams in right. division three. Now to put this in context, we usually have eight teams across the board and eight teams works pretty well because um, you play two games on Saturday, one game on Sunday morning. It's two pools of four and whoever wins each pool plays each other in the division grand final uh, all day Sunday, because um, all three men's division, the three top men's divisions, actually, the four tops men's division uh, all had um, all had semifinals because they were either six teams or nine teams. Uh, women's division one had six. Teams. All the games on Sunday morning uh, for those top divisions were semifinals and then led into a final instead of, you know, a group match where, you know, right. there could be some dead rubbers and whatnot. Um, you know, all the games they needed to have a winner and we had all these knockout games and everything. And it was, and it was wonderful from a logistic standpoint. It's difficult because we also require the teams to umpire matches uh, or, you know, to provide with a little bit different because, you know, you can't tell a team, well, you, you know, you're supposed to be at this field then because it's entirely possible that they'll be playing or they'll be needing to get ready to play as well. Um, so that unfortunately kind of, 
kind of makes things a little bit different. But um, the hope is, I mean, you know, to, to say, okay, if you win Division Two, you're guaranteed a spot in Division One. If you win Division One or you're the runner up in Division One, you're guaranteed to keep your spot no matter how terrible you do the following season. Um, you know, if you're the winner of the regionals, when we had the three regionals, if you win, you know, Division One and the Eastern Regionals, you're guaranteed a spot because we want to make sure that we have at least one team from each in that top division. Um, and the other side of that is, Tim, is that when we go to um, when we play at the at the national tournament, um, you want to keep the teams as separated as you can by region. Um, you know, we have a lot of mm-hmm. clubs that are so close uh, distance wise, you know, Philly and New York, Philly and Baltimore, Philly and D.C., Seattle and Portland, the three south, uh, the three southern California teams, the two northern California, teams, the four Texan teams. You don't want them to come all the way out to wherever it is we're playing and then end up playing each other in a group stage. So, so, so the idea is we do sort of like the world cup where we try and make sure that they're playing in opposite groups and then play in the fight in, in, in the knockout stage or the final, if need be. Um, We had a couple of uh, actually a couple of really good, uh, the year where we did the semifinals, um, in Division Two, we had Seattle play Portland and Chicago play Minnesota, which was great. Which is what we wanted to see for knockout. Mm-hmm. We have two regional rivals, but you don't want to see that in the in the pool play. You want to have teams, unless there's a lot of teams from one right. region, and which then is unavoidable, right? Yeah, but the idea is is to make it competitive. So there's all these things, but I, I you know, the idea is, of this is to just kind of have a more tangible. And again, if you have a, a team saying, you know, well, we don't want to play in Division Two, we don't want to play in this, and say, hey, look you played really well during the season. You're going to have to play, but um, yeah, hopefully, like I said, it'll be something that, um, and, and, and we'll, I'll keep tweaking it as time goes on. Um, you know, I think it's really difficult to kind of take the last couple of years, um, you know, since we skipped a year. So maybe in a couple of years, I think you will start doing maybe like retroactive points for, uh, you know, like in 2024, we'll say, Oh, well you finished, you won in division one. So you get like a bonus, like a half a bonus point right. or something down the line, yeah. but that's, but yeah, it, that's, that's the concept. No, it's it's definitely worth uh, pursuing, in my opinion, and has a, a way to, like when you say you have, you know, 50 teams and 36 teams uh, competing in a tournament, you have to figure out some way equitably to uh, put them in divisions and, and matchups. And why not use a rating system that at least mathematically make a lot of sense and gives everybody an, the same type of opportunity to move up or down on on a ladder you know so yeah you know it's not like you said it's not like a competition where they're all together but in the same vein you don't expect fort lauderdale to come play cincinnati you know it just does not happen yeah i mean and 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 prior to this i mean we were starting to see clubs travel more um i can tell you philadelphia uh we were planning on heading to minnesota uh last year uh and there was another place as well like uh in the central region i think that that the team was planning to travel and the year before that um in in 2019 oklahoma came out to play us which is which was fantastic yeah my goodness yeah yeah i mean they brought they only brought 12 but uh they had a good time nonetheless um, and it was great to see them come out and uh, and 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 uh, support us and and be involved in it. So, um, you know, I, there is encouragement. And and the other thing though is is um, you know, a lot of the better, a lot of the higher up teams were more apt to travel. I know um, uh, L.A. went to Austin a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I know Austin made a return trip. I know that uh, you know. 
Dallas has made the trip out West. I know Houston and Portland played a home and home over two years where Houston went up to Portland and then the Steelheads returned the favor to come down to Houston to play. Um, you know, um, it's, it, it's good to see it, I realize that not all the clubs have that capability. Um, but, um, you know, if, when they do, it's, it's really good to see that sort of camaraderie oh. and that sort of willing to learn and to be able to, you know, and, and it's fun for the guys too. I mean, you know, it, I've, I've made some of the long trips I made. Um, I remember, I think the longest trip that I made during the regular season, we went and played the old Florida Redbacks team, which has since been replaced by the, by the Tiger Sharks, but we went down to Tampa to play them. I'll tell you this. I enjoyed every aspect about that trip, but, but the game, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's part of like you said that's part of the experience of it all oh yeah and, and you know there's nothing wrong with that i i cover a lot of uh semi-pro football mm. and it's the same type of atmosphere i mean if they do travel they go and they enjoy themselves and you know maybe they part a little too much before the game but you know that happens and uh in the same vein uh you know it's it's a family atmosphere you know where they you know on the sidelines, you'll see uh, them holding their, their youngest child in uniform. So it's well, fun, you know, and yeah, that's it, what it's all about. It really is. And, and, and I have a distinct memory of um, 2017 when we were in Little Rock, uh, Arkansas, for a Central Regionals. And uh, the Lone Stars, uh, Houston, they rented a bus. Uh, and they drove up from Houston. I think it was, um, it was something like eight hours. It wasn't, wasn't a whole lot. It was, you know, it was a relatively, you know, decent, uh, bus ride, but everybody brought their wives and their partners and their kids and everything. And, and I, they gave me a ride back to the to and from the field. And I was sitting there with everybody else. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this. And, and listen, in Philly, you know, every, every club has a different culture every club has a different feel and and you know in philly we do get our family involved too from time to time um but it was nothing i hadn't seen anything like like that and i thought it was really 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 cool and that's and that's a testament to um uh, you know, uh, uh, Dave Bryant, who is since who was a longtime president of the Lone Stars, has since gone on to be Central Regional VP. Uh, his wife, uh, Sony Lavelle, who's my uh, assistant on the media side with the USAFL, they they put fostered the, the 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 birth of that sort of thing. So yeah, but a lot of other teams do that as well, where they've got you know their families involved and and it is a, a family environment. But some clubs. It's a little bit more, you know, sporting, mm -hmm. I guess, in mm -hmm. terms of that, yeah. you know, um, it's it's more about um, the imbibement in some cases. But but by and large, I mean, it, it's it's, um, you know, there is there's there is that good culture and, and as competitive as it is, it also is very jovial. And that's and that's the most important part. Oh, there's no question. And that's that's exciting. Hey, let's uh, let's turn the page here and talk a little AFL uh, down under style. Uh you're being a Hawthorne uh, fan, having a tough year, but man, last week, that was impressive to get the draw with uh, Melbourne. Yeah, anytime you can um, take points away from the team at the top of the table, that's 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 always a uh, that's always a good thing. Um, and and you know, I, I think um, and the other part, the good thing about that is you've got you know four teams that are right behind them, kind of clapping you on the back as well, saying well done. Um, you know, listen, the one thing you can say about Clarkson sides is that they're, they always are very scrappy. Um, even mm. if they finish pretty far down the ladder, like, like they are wont to do this year. Um, but, um, 
you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Richmond is sort of seeing this where, uh, you know, they're going through that. They, they're, they're, they, they have that long spell of nothing but success, uh, you know, like Hawthorne did for, you know, for those, those four seasons. And, and now, and, you know, where they had always been competitive and now we're starting to see that lull that there's going to be that rebuilding. There's going to be that, 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 uh, year or two or three, perhaps, where they are going to be languishing down towards the bottom of the table. But um, you know, it's a it's it's a character building result for a team that 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 I think needs those as as they get back to where they were at the beginning of the last decade. Oh, there's yeah, like I said, I thought it was it was an impressive uh, outing for them, and it really I I think it's. It, it's it's really weird to say, but I've come to accept draws in in sports. I never mm-hmm. did for many times, and I used to just. I guess that was the football mentality, the American football, and and the baseball mentality. You play until you get a winner, you know, type thinking uh, that you had for many years. Uh, but uh, a draw can, you know, especially a, a side like Hawthorne, who. Uh, you know, like you said, it's just going through a rebuild and, and doing it and taking on a, on the a top team in the, on the ladder to come away with, you know, an opportunity to win a game. Okay. They didn't, but they didn't lose neither. So uh, like you said, they took p- points away from them. That's, that's something that this, that program can build on and uh, might be something that they talk about maybe uh, next year as a game that they say, say, Hey, look, that's when we knew we had the opportunity to play at a higher level and uh, be more successful. Yeah. And and I think when, you know, you look back at at teams that have, um, have, have had those like lulls, like those, those droughts. I mean, you go back and look at like Fremantle and all those Mm -hmm. years before they finally made a grand final, Um, you know, the, uh, um, uh, Justin Longmuir kicking a goal after the siren against St. Kilda. And I want to say, Oh, five uh, to sneak, help sneak them into, to, to, to the, uh, to the finals, you know, they uh, Longmuir has since become the coach and I'll tell you what, they might not have made a deep run that year, but you know, he's still a hero at that club for what he did on that game. So, you know, there's, there's um, especially like you look at like 2015 as well. There was that one game between the Bulldogs and the Swans in Sydney in the wet and the Bulldogs managed to hang on to that one game that one uh, uh, it may have actually been 2016 and and that right helped Probably. propel them into into a position where they could make a deep playoff uh, a finals run and they made it to the and they won the grand final that year yeah. so um you know even if even if they end up finishing down towards the bottom which again they are most likely going to do um you know that group of players i think can take can take uh, what it is of that and and speaking of the, the just just to the the thing of the draw um you know the draws for a sport where you can have those um you know it seems could seem pretty easy to have those um they don't happen terribly often in in the afl and i i think um i don't remember the last time there was two draws in a season um usually there's one and sometimes you go an entire season without having them it happened a right. couple of years ago where you had all those games and and there's calls about you know they want to do a shootout or they should have extra time and 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 it's worth remembering and i know you know this but for those that don't um, up until 1990, if a finals match was tied, it had to be replayed from the beginning. Um, they added the extra time to that in 91. And up until 2015, if the grand final was tied, uh, they had to replay that as well. And the last time that that happened was 2010. And 
that was it was amusing because we had the grand final party here in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, there's a less than a minute to go. St. Kilda and Collingwood are tied at 68, and John Loring, who's our, our who's the coach, still the the coach of the Hawks, comes over to me and goes, "Barish, what happens if they're still tied?" I said, "They got to come back and play from the beginning next week." He goes, "You're you're you're you're, jo- you're joking." I said, "Nope, they got to they got to play it from the beginning." Right. And I liked it, you know, I, I you know, and, and, and I realized that it's a legit, you know, especially when you've got, and, you know, they're like, well, you know, you've got fans flying in from all over the place. And I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. Book another book, book, book take, take next weekend off too. You but, know? Um, but, but, but the thing as well is because it doesn't happen that often and football, I feel is like the same, you know, gridiron football, I feel is like right. the same way. Now, now, because it doesn't happen that often, you know, half a win is still, is still, it's a result. It's a, it's a thing. Now, you, you look at a sport like soccer, which is a sport that I follow really mm-hmm. closely because ties are more frequent now. And because you can play for a tie as a result, you know, now you have wins as more points. You, you just give more value. So instead of two points for a win, one point for a draw, it's now three points. For, um, you know, what I'd like to see eventually in hockey uh, is do what they do in uh, Europe and in the I double IHF, which is give two points for a, for a shootout win and three points for a regulation win. Right. Uh, they're talking about possibly doing something like that in the world cup for, uh, for soccer, um, you know, especially, you know, if they shorten the groups, but that's yeah, another topic for another day. I like the draw. I think it's a, uh, you know, it doesn't happen during the season. It's a result. And I feel like if you can't score more points than the other team in, in 80 minutes of footy, then you shouldn't be given another 10 minutes to do it unless you need a winner. Right. And then of course you go back, what was it? 2018 grand finals from Collingwood and uh, what was it? Collingwood West, and Coast. West, West Coast. Yeah. Had, had a draw actually in regulation and then went to extra times. And that was the first time they had that. And you know what? I remember watching that and both teams were exhausted in that extra time. And it was difficult. I I won't say it wasn't difficult. It was maybe less than spectacular uh, game ending than you would want. And I think the idea of the excitement of replaying the game would have been more interesting than to have a sudden death uh, situation that they had. Well, I mean, obviously it was extra time. They play the entire extra time, but I think it was a 10 minutes. I want to say, yeah, and, yes. uh, five, right. five minutes each way. Right. Um, I mean, I get it. I almost would rather see them. Uh, I, I, and I don't know the rules. Uh, maybe it's actually in it after the, those 10 minutes that they, uh, they just have a, a, a goal kickoff from outside the 50, you know, and put them in different positions. And uh, the team that gets the most goals wins, you know, kind of well, like, a, like a, a shootout in hockey. Well, they were talking eventually about, I think they were talking as to whether or not, I think initially when they had the, the rule as to what to do, I think they would say they keep playing and it's golden point. Just, just, just sudden death at that point, whoever scores the next right. point wins. Um, but now I think it's, it's just another 10 minutes and they keep playing sets of 10 minute uh, periods until they have a winner. Um, but, but, you know, I have to compare it. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I've been a hockey fan ever since I, you know, ever since I right. was this big and um, you know, I, 
I love the concept of just playing until you have a winner and and you can stay the same. I mean, but you can say the same thing about hockey. You know, you have, I mean, we had, you know, a five over four, five Mm -hmm. overtime game uh, last year. Um, You know, I remember staying up till two 30 in the morning, watching the flyers beat the penguins and, 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 in, in, in five overtimes, Keith Primo, Uh, you know, um, to me, there is the idea and, you know, and mind you, I don't want to see it go to sudden death. I think, I think you do need to play, uh, you know, the, you need to play out the full, the full uh, complement of the, of the, the, the extra, extra time. Times. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, I, 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 there is something about that to say like, okay, we could be here for 10 minutes. We could be here for another hour. Let's see where this takes us. And I think, you know, clubs do, I think, have to be more mindful as, you know, when they get to that, they have to have the depth, they have to have the conditioning. You know, these are guys that train every day or just about every day, and they are in much more difficult conditions, I feel like, than when they play games in some cases. So they should hopefully be trained for that. And, and I'm not talking about making them stay out there for six hours, but my goodness, I mean, you know, it's, it, it does require that little something extra and that little, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, I, I like it. I, I think that uh, it does add that little extra drama. I remember, I mean, the first one I saw um, was Port Adelaide uh, okay. a couple of years ago. And that one was, that one, that, that game was fun as well, but um, it doesn't, it doesn't, and that's the thing. It doesn't happen very often. I think no. there's only been, I want to say three or four extra time games since they introduced it in 91. So, yeah. um, so yeah, so, so I'm, I'm okay with it. And it doesn't need any gimmick. It doesn't need to need a shootout. It doesn't need anything else. It's just play the game naturally. Um, you know, if you don't do it, it's a draw. Uh, and, and if you need a winner, you just play, sets of those periods yeah. and you need to switch sides because of the yes. wind and the different grounds oh there's no question that to make it yeah. fair you have to yep. yep you know uh looking at the uh, the afl ladder um we, we, we kind of talked about Richmond earlier. Who's sitting at number nine, but there's a bunch of them uh, clogged together. You got Fremantle, Richmond, and Essendon uh, all together. Uh, you know, right there with the same amount of points, 32 points. You know, going into this round, uh, can the Bombers make the run to the finals? Do you think they have it in it this year? Well, um, I, you know, they, they definitely have, I think a pretty good chance. So I'm just trying to get around and just kind of see, uh, you know, who they have left this season. Um, you know, they, they've got GWS coming up and, and the giants are, the giants are only two points behind that, that, that log jam mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, I think, uh, them getting kind of thrown into this tizzy with everybody else in terms of the lockdowns and whatnot, um, you know, is going to make things, is going to make things difficult. Of course, it's going to make things difficult for a lot of the sides, but, um, uh, you know, they, they do have the talent. I'm a big fan of, uh, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Uh, I, I think he's one of the more electrifying players, uh, in, in the competition. Um, you know, they, they really had a struggle against North Melbourne last week, did them. And they, you know, they finally came through in the end. Uh, to go on to to go on and win. Nick Cox has been an absolute revelation. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be a future a future superstar, kind of in the same ilk of a of a of a rusty uh, of, of a Dusty Martin rather. Um, but uh, they have GWS coming up. Uh, then they have Sydney, who's always a difficult team. Round twenty one, uh, they are uh, playing the Western Bulldogs. Uh, round twenty two. 
just scanning here, they're at Gold Coast, which I feel should be a win. Yes. Um, the Bulldogs, I think, are going to give them difficult. And then they play Collingwood, who are, who are struggling. So I say they probably win maybe three of those games. And I think that's probably enough to get them, you know, to at least have them in contention. They are... 12 points adrift of the Sydney Swans who were in sixth. Then they're um, the Eagles are eight point who are the team above them are eight points behind them. So I think those top six teams, unless any, unless, you know, any of those top six sides really, really, really just, just drops in the next couple of weeks. I think that's your top six. And so, so yeah, all those teams are really essentially just battling it out for two spots. And, I think Essendon has as good a chance as any, especially since right now they've got the best percentage of all of the teams that are behind them at the moment. And that's a big part. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with percentage has to do with goal, goal kicks made and your record. Well, it's the, it's, it's the point, it's the point differential, essentially. Uh, It's, it's the number of points that you've scored divided by the number of points that you've allowed. uh, And that's multiplied by a hundred. So if you, so if you have a 100 percentage, you've scored and allowed the same amount of points. Uh, So that's, that's how that works. Again, it's kind of like goal differential, I'm sorry, point differential, um, but it's, but it, it, actually kind of favors teams that have scored fewer points um, and have allowed fewer points as well. So there's that, but I mean, like I said, of the bottom of teams seven on to 18, Essendon has the best percent, which will come in handy as, as, as we, you know, wrap up the final five games of the season. There's no question about that. Hey, uh, when you look at Melbourne uh, on top of the ladder, uh, traditionally, I guess I could say they've, they've, They've limped their way home uh, most of the season. Uh, last few years, they've uh, had opportunities and and just kind of not played their best uh, footy. You know, the last four or five weeks of the season, with the draw last week to Hawthorne, do you think we might be seeing that that dive from uh, Melbourne in a sense? Not in a sense that they get out of the top eight, as we were just talking about, mm-hmm. but maybe not finish in the top two or top three or possibly out of the top four where they, you know, would lose that advantage. Well, um, they're going to have um, a, a relatively tough run home uh, because uh, coming up, they've got, well, they've got Gold Coast, which again, uh, that hope that should, should you would a think win. be a victory, yeah. but then they've got the Bulldogs in round 20. And then after that, they've got the West Coast in Perth on round 21. Then they've got Adelaide uh, probably at home, depending on the lockdown situation. They're always a tough side, even though, uh, even though they are, uh, they're struggling this year and then uh, they finish up the year uh, against Geelong uh, at Goomba Stadium so two out of their last five games are going to be against the teams that are directly below them Um, and I think those are the as 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 key as the other games are because if you lose to Gold Coast and you lose to 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 Adelaide I don't think you're you know that isn't a very good showing and I think that is going to that is going to hurt them but but I think the true question as to whether or not they are uh, premiership contenders are going to be how they do against the Bulldogs and how they do against Geelong. Um, but um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I guess for those who aren't who aren't terribly familiar, they have the longest 
premiership drought of any club in the league. They have not won since 1964. And this is a team that in the lead up to that 64 premiership, you know, they won five in a row at the end of the 1950s. Uh, they were a very, very powerful club at the, at, at the, in the first half century of the league. And over the last few years, I mean, 2000 was their last grand final. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and they have a very, you know, they have very talented. I mean, Max Gawne can be inconsistent in front of goals from time to time. Christian Pertaka, however, is a really good player. I think Ben Brown was the absolute best pickup they could have made. I know he hasn't played every year, but, but, you know, he's a tall player. He's rangy. Um, you know, I mean, the man basically starts in no matter where the game is, he starts in Tasmania when he runs up to kick to, for, for shots on goal. I mean, he goes back maybe about a good 40 meters yeah. before he goes and does up. Um, also one of the nicest guys in the league, in my opinion, uh, uh, just from hearing and, and, you know, through, through contacts as well. Um, but we'll see, I think, and by the way, think about Ben Brown, you know, he just let, he was cut by Melbourne, by North Melbourne. Yeah. in last place and he's with the first place side so can they keep it up i think the next game will tell i think that they don't have the um, the experience that some of these other clubs do like the bulldogs and and the cats do mm-hmm. and, and in being that high but we'll find out if they if they make through this couple even if they keep those games close i think they have a shot to make a long run if they struggle against those two teams and they struggle against the other teams at the bottom of the ladder they're gonna that they're gonna be playing I think we might see, uh, even if they do, if, you know, they may still finish in the top four, but they may be two and out. Yeah. Well, one more thing I wanted to get to. I know we could talk about the whole top eight, but we could do that another day. Maybe we can even do a, uh, a preview of the finals when that comes about in the future here. I know you'll be busy with the USAFL season, but we'll talk about that another day. Um, this weekend, we have the VFLW finals, grand finals. Well, um, we have the, well, we've got the, 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 the preliminary final, assuming that, uh, um, I, 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 I think they've waived the lockdown. I, I'm, I'm I was just, just wondering. Yeah. I didn't know. I, so I was kind of curious. I was just looking that up myself because I know Collingwood, I've been watching, uh, them on YouTube when I've had mm-hmm. the opportunity and, uh, they've been undefeated this season and they've, they've had a great run, um, during the finals. And, uh, I thought it was scheduled on the 23rd or 24th this month, but well, it originally- I don't know what's going on. Well, it originally was, and I'm actually just now looking at, uh, at, 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 at what exactly is going to be happening. Uh, the, the, the W the VFLW cannot be played before the AFLW draft, uh, at for, uh, next Tuesday, the 27th. Um, so, uh, basically they have to declare the FLW declared that any player drafted must be allowed and encouraged to complete the VFLWC before joining their new team. What that means is there are players who are not, uh, who are playing for VFLW sides uh, that are not committed to AFLW sides. And that's a very important thing to note because there are players, like I'll give you a great example. Danny Marshall is playing mm-hmm. for the Western Bulldogs VFLW side, even though she was listed by the AFLW team. So that's something to note. So we're looking at, um, at least um, probably 
maybe I think next weekend then would be the continuation of the finals, assuming that the lockdown is lifted at that point. Um, you've got the uh, preliminary final, and I'm just looking. Collingwood has um, already uh, gone into the grand final uh, undefeated season. And I'll tell you what, Geelong came really, really mm-hmm. close in that qualifying final uh, to knocking them off. And and um, it's funny for a team that uh, really struggled during the AFLW season, um, they, they, they had a pretty good run uh, in, in the uh, qualifying final. Um, but the preliminary final, uh, it looks to be Essendon and Geelong. That game will be played at Windy Hill. Uh, Essendon coming off of, uh, you know, they had put up a really, really good uh, fight against against Collingwood, falling by seven points. You know, Collingwood, as dominant as they look throughout the season, and they uh, won their matches almost by a combined, you know, three to one total. They only won by a goal over Geelong uh, at home at uh, Victoria Park. I'm sorry, at the Holden Center. Uh, and then uh, they came home to Victoria Park and won by seven, by just seven points over Essendon. And they only kicked two goals that game. Geelong, uh, you know, a good side. Uh, you know, uh, all those players, I think, that are coming up through that system and who they, you know, can possibly uh, – uh, get and they could possibly you know uh, uh, draft and who can bring up to an aflw you know with their new coach coming in uh, in the aflw season you know i don't think we're going to see them be easy beats like they were last year uh, uh this past season in aflw coming forward but the winner of that game will get collingwood in the grand final um i think the earliest like i said the earliest that the that the preliminary final can be held which is essentially the you know the semi-final would be uh next weekend J- uh, july 31st with the grand final being the weekend of the 7th or the 8th um you know vflw is the place to find that out and also keep yeah. an eye on uh yeah, i know you talked to julia montesano uh keep an eye on warf radio as well because they'll have the latest news as well as they as brian one more time let's talk about the us afl what's to expect coming up here and uh, uh, give a shout out to uh, all those uh, teams in, in the regions that are they're competing in. Well, um, I can I can really quickly run through all of them uh, uh, really, really quickly, if you'd like. Uh, I don't know how much time you got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be cognizant and all that other stuff, yeah. because we all know we all know that I don't give short answers. Um, so August, August 7th, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, it'll be a three team round robin. It'll be uh, uh, Columbus, Nashville, uh, the Columbus Cats, the Nashville Kangaroos and the Ohio Valley River Rats, which are made up players from cincinnati indianapolis and louisville um we have women's as well i don't know what uh sort of game that uh what uh, the format that will look like but they'll have players from cincinnati columbus and nashville in hand uh sacramento also august 7th that'll be the largest tournament uh teams from we got the arizona hawks the denver bulldogs golden gate ruse las vegas gamblers los angeles dragons orange county giants portland steelheads sacramento suns san diego lions and seattle grizzlies uh that'll be a four team round robin in two divisions so there will be eight teams uh played in each division uh which will be great and each team will be playing three games uh for the women it'll be a three-team round robin with players from arizona orange county portland sacramento uh the san francisco iron maidens which are part of the Golden Gate side and Seattle, San Francisco, by the way, the four time defending national champions in division one on the women's side, the following weekend, Madison, Wisconsin, August 14th, uh, men, you've got, um, 
Uh, you've got one division, two pools of three teams uh, with the winner playing in the grand final. You've got the Chicago Swans, the Denver Bulldogs Reserves, the Des Moines Roosters, Kansas City Power, uh, Milwaukee Bombers, the Minnesota Freeze, the Wisconsin Wombats, and the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Chicago, Denver, Des Moines, Minnesota, as St. Louis and uh, possibly the North Star Blue Ox will be playing in a two-team uh, head-to-head battle. Basically, they'll be uh, mixing up the sides, probably Minnesota uh, and Denver uh, against the other, the other teams there. Um, and then the other one that weekend in Philadelphia on August 14th on the men's side, a four team round Robin with uh, Baltimore Dockers, DC Eagles, New York Magpies, Philadelphia Hawks. Uh, somewhere in the middle will be the uh, RVA Lions from Richmond, Virginia. And then uh, a, a two team battle with Baltimore, DC, Philadelphia and Richmond uh, uh, playing a full game there. And then the final weekend in, in Arlington, Texas on August 21st, uh, the Austin Crows, uh, seniors and reserve side, the Baton Rouge Tigers, Dallas Dingo. Houston Lone Stars, North Texas Devils, and the Oklahoma Okies. Uh, they'll play two pools of three with the winner of each pool playing in the grand final. And uh, the women's uh, division will have the Texas Heat, which is made up of the uh, the four Texas sides, uh, Austin, Dallas, Houston, North Texas. And then you'll have the Centennial Tigers, who are based in Denver. They're a brand-new team. They're actually playing their first game. They were founded at the end of 2019. They're finally going to be playing their first competitive game uh, uh, this weekend in San Francisco. That'll actually be a really fun game to, to, to keep an eye on as well. And then the final one, uh, August 21st in Savannah, Georgia. It'll be a three-team round run. Robin, uh, the teams competing there, the Atlanta Kookaburras, Fort Lauderdale Fighting Squids, Jacksonville Saints, Rome Redbacks, Savannah Hurricane, and the Tampa Bay Tiger Sharks. Uh, for the women, uh, that's sort of up in the air. Jacksonville and Tampa Bay will be bringing players, so hopefully we'll have a, at least a two-team game, maybe more, depending on who brings them. Uh, so uh, that's it. Um, if you're interested, if you're in the sound of our voice and there's a team near you, um, and you're interested in playing in any of these tournaments, um, you know, uh, go to USAFL, go to registration. Uh, if you are interested in playing uh, in any of these tournaments, it's just $25 for the men, 15 for the women. Uh, that is just to play in the sub-regional tournaments. Uh, if you don't feel you don't want to play, but you're in the area, please come out and check out some great Aussie rules football action uh, across the country. It should be, uh, like I said, they're, they're great events and uh, it should be a lot of fun. Brian, I can't thank you enough for coming back on. Really enjoyed the uh, the conversation. Look forward to talk to you in the future and uh, continue success with the USAFL and everything that you do behind it. Thanks, Tim. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing as well with the, with the show here. I appreciate it. All right, that's Brian Bart. She is the media coordinator for the USAFL. My thanks to him once again for coming on the podcast. My thanks once again goes out to Brian for coming on the podcast here tonight. As Brian, you can follow him on Twitter at Barish USAFL1997. And get all the information once again on the USAFL on their website at USAFL.com. Once again, my thanks to Brian Barish for coming on the podcast. Anthony will be back next week with me talking sports around the valley and around the world with you. Once again, I like I like to tell you everybody, remember, tell your family, friends, and enemies about Radio MVP. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Radio MVP.